Hello, welcome to Skyboard Red as we continue with our new Wednesday show after first speaking with Sky Sports' Seb Hutchinson before the international break. We're speaking with ex-players, broadcasters and people associated with the club each week. Or we'll do what we're about to do and answer questions submitted by viewers and listeners to us. Joining me to discuss a load of good questions you've sent in are, first of all, Reds fan Emily Anderson. Morning, Emily. How are you? Good morning. Very good. Thank you. Yeah. Good, good. And the man who really, truly is to blame for the draw against Luton, Michael Temple. How are you doing? Yeah, good. I don't think I can be given the sole blame for that one, to be honest, having, having watched the game <laughs> like, like most rational people. But yeah, my, my timeline would suggest that somehow I've influenced us in conceding two late goals. Yes, this is because Temp said we'd beat Lou in 3 0. I mean, we probably should have done, or even 4 0. But uh, yeah, we don't. Obviously, when we talk before the game, we don't know how it's going to pan out in the last 15 minutes. So I don't think it was an unreasonable prediction, but it was amusing the amount of flack Temp's got, certainly. Right. Um, I've called this Wednesday show Nottingham Forest Extra Time, which is not very original at all. I've not brainstormed it with people cleverer than me who, who work in branding like Temp. So I probably should have done, but that's the plan going forwards. And like I say, we're going to do a Q&A, take your questions, uh, low submitted on Twitter. Do drop some in uh, the live chat if you're with us. Lots of people uh, here already. So good to have you on board. Most of the questions, or certainly a clutch of them, were around the manager, uh, is he the man to take us forward? All that kind of stuff, which is a discussion we probably wouldn't have had pre-Luton, but we are now because of the way we collapsed and obviously the subs were a factor in that and that's the manager's choice. So lots of debate around him. I suppose one question that sums it up was from Stuart Benjamin. What is Cooper's limit? Is it able to match Evangelos Marinakis's? Obviously, uh, the chairman is very ambitious, pumps a lot of money into the club and he'll want to see results in the long term. So Temps... Is Steve Cooper the manager who will take us to where we want to be long-term? Well, we don't know, do we? Because he's only five seasons into his uh, football management career. It's a very steep learning curve and he, he's finding the harshest lessons of all now uh, at this point in, in the Premier League. Look, he, he had a bad weekend. There's no dressing that up. He set the team up to, to win, to control the ball, to create chances. We did. And then we faded in the last 15 minutes when the kind of player you want on for a rear guard action, uh, Willie Bolly uh, was 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 off the pitch. So accepting that that mistakes were made um, at, at the weekend, no one will be tougher uh, on himself than, than than Cooper when he sits and reflects with his coaches on the things he would do differently. He would absolutely do things differently if he had that time again. You don't get that time in the Premier League. Every game's important, and we've just thrown away um, three points against Luton, who I still believe are the type of team that we should be beating 3-0. And anyone that watched that game um, would have seen that with the chances that we um, generated, we, we quite comfortably could have, could have if things had gone slightly differently. But the warning signs were there. There were, there were balls flashed across the box, which could have been nicked in. And we, we could have found ourselves 1-0 uh, down in that game. Then it's an entirely different. So to answer the question, what is um, Steve Cooper's uh, limit uh, and what is the what is the ambition of the chairman um, the ambition of the chairman is, is far quicker progress than perhaps um, any manager could reasonably be expected to deliver I'm still firmly in the Steve Cooper camp I think he'll learn from um, all these things that aren't quite going his way in the same way that he's learned from his successes we are in transition we're trying to leave the days of counter-attacking, slightly negative football, deep block football behind us. And to become quite progressive, there's going to be bumps in the road 
um, along the way, but I'm still back in the manager. Now, look, it's not my decision if and when um, Cooper or any manager gets their, their marching orders. That's down to the owner. And the big retune, and I've said this before, the bit that I still can't quite get my head around is the extent of Maranakis' ambition and the pace at which he expects us to get there. Only he can decide that. He's putting the purse strings. And if he decides to bullet a manager, ultimately that's that's down to him. It's a fickle business. He's soon forgotten. And if the new guy wins four on the bounce, five out of seven, whatever, um, yeah, the, the whole thing will the whole thing will move on. But I'm still firmly behind Steve Cooper, despite you know pretty significant mistakes that were made at the weekend um, that left us licking our wounds with one point rather than three. Yeah, the the kind of recalibration around what expectations are because of the owner's ambitions is pretty staggering. It's not normal for a promoted club, Emily, isn't it? It does adjust expectations and perceptions. What are yours of Cooper and where he's going at the moment? I'm still very much Cooper, and I don't think that's any surprise to anyone, um, mainly because of his limited time as a manager anyway. Um, he is already changing our style. Last season, it was all about staying up. The season before, it was about getting promoted. And this season, it's about consolidating our position in the Premier League. As far as I'm concerned as a fan, Maranakis might have um, you know, visions of us getting into Europe, getting easily getting into the top 10, which quite rightly he should for the amount of money that he's pumped into the club. But for me, we are still going in the right direction. I'm still hurting, as a lot of people are, from, from Luton at the weekend. Uh, yeah, the substitutions in hindsight weren't great, but Cooper couldn't, uh, he wasn't there when Aurier seemingly was struck by lightning and and missed his clearance. He wasn't there when Worrell got the wrong side of the Luton striker. You know, he can only do so much. He would expect to 2-0 up after 70-odd minutes, we'd be able to see out the win. Um He's doing everything he should be at the moment. He's still working with new players. Last season, obviously, we had an influx of 30 players. And this season, we've still got, we've got a brand new midfield, which is starting to work well together. He's got, he's got, still got different squad players that he's trying to work with. Um, and I just think if, if an, an owner was to pull the trigger now or sometime soon, what better position would be we be in long term? We can see from the players and the way they interact with Cooper that he's got them all under his wing and they're all working together to try and get the best they can for Forrest. And my only concern is if we say, right, fine, you know, we've got ambitions of getting into Europe this year. We need a we need a, a manager with bigger ambition, a manager with more experience. How do we know that they're going to fit in with the, with the new Forest way? That's my concern. I'm very much still just let him do his thing. We're not getting anywhere by slagging him off at the moment. So just just let him keep going. Let's see how he gets on. And hopefully we can go the right way up the table. Mm. Uh, I never normally scribble down notes on a topic, but I've scribbled down a few because obviously this is the big one at the moment. So the question's about reaching limits and how far he can take us. And I think, you know, every stage of his managerial career, he's risen and risen and risen. Yeah, He won the under-17s World Cup. He exceeded what Swansea should have done by getting to the playoffs with very little money. He got us promoted first season when we really didn't have much right to get promoted. Kept us up with 30 signings, second worst injury record in the league. I don't think many managers would have kept us up because he thrived on building a squad, building a unit and putting a side together that became a team that really wasn't a team to start with. I think that's his strength. His arguable weakness is around in-game management. 
And I think if you look at Wolves at home, Brentford away and Luton at home, there are three instances where subs have arguably backfired. I, I defended the Wolves subs last season. I thought they made sense. Brentford away, ironically, he probably made, should have made more subs. Danilo went off injured when he looked like he was dying on his ass. This game, he probably should have made less subs. But, you know, management is a difficult game. Premier League management is a difficult game. Mistakes can be made. Mistakes are made on the pitch. And like Emily said, there's no legislating for Serge Aurier doing what he did or Joe Worrell doing what he did. To an extent, Olaina doing what he did. I watched that back and Olaina looked worse each time. It's definitely Joe Worrell's fault. So I think with five games into this new project, like one of the questions about Sangare, I mean, really, this is an, another new team. And we failed to beat Luton when we should have done, Brentford when we could have done, and Palace when we could have done. People saying it's Palace's third team, reserve team, doesn't matter. They were The 10 of the 11 that started were very experienced Premier League players. We didn't have a right to go there and win. We have, I think, a chance to go there and win. And we could have done it, and we didn't. But I don't blame the manager for that. People were lauding Steve Cooper for Chelsea away. Brilliant tactical setup. And obviously... I think he's cracked it against uh, big clubs away. But like Lewis said on Monday, we're still working out how to beat teams at home, teams we should win. I mean, last season, there weren't should-win games, there were could-win games, apart from Southampton at home. And that's the evolution of the team for me. At the moment, we're not quite there. And we don't have the the attacking arsenal, certainly right now, that I think we had to an extent last season with Brennan. But we sort of see like Cooper's strengths, like player development, we see a hint of it with Alanga, a hint of it with Hudson-Odoi. We see a lot of it with Brennan, obviously, Ryan Yates. Murillo's going to be great. So I think Steve Cooper's not the complete package, but he's a developing young manager. And there's a lot of those out there. And, you know, Arteta wasn't what he is now three years ago. So I think Cooper's on an upward trend. And he's not Pep Guardiola. He's not Jurgen Klopp, and he might not ever be them. But I think we've got a progressive manager who's going the right way, building a new side. This is like Nottingham Forest 3.0, sort of. So I think we need a bit of patience. Luton was a shocker, miserable. But we're on the right track. So for me, I would keep faith with him. He's not the best manager in the world. And if Marinakis can go out there and think, oh, I can get... I mean, everyone says Emery. There's not that many Emerys out there. But if one emerges and he thinks he can get him, then fair enough. But yeah, there's lots of shiny other toys out there. I think we're kind of in danger of throwing the baby out with the bathwater here and writing off Cooper as, you know. But to me, over a 38-game season, where would this team finish with Steve Cooper? About 12th. Where should they finish? Probably about 12th, unless they develop in January and get more attacking Arsenal. So like the other guys, I'm firmly behind the manager. I think it's just a massive overreaction. He's not perfect, but no manager is perfect. Look at Ten Hag, absolute shockers, but... He's got the track record. Uh, we can point to, you know, Guardiola. I'm going on a bit here. Sorry. Guardiola not playing a defensive midfielder in a Champions League final. I mean, managers make mind-blowing decisions, you know, periodically. And Cooper made his. Let's learn from it. Let's see players learn from it. Let's dust ourselves off and let's be better against Liverpool. That's where I'm at on it. And it, I, think you know, said, I think you said it there, mate. I think that's a very articulate and, and measured assessment of exactly where we're at. Good. So let's move on to another question because I know Emily's got to go in about 25 minutes. So we'll, we'll try and rattle through a few more quickly. One of them sort of related to it and we discussed on Monday. So I'll just get your guys uh, take on it quickly. It was a question from Andrew on Twitter. Have we had a good start, a bad start or a middling start, Emily? Uh, uh, 
we've had a decent start. I don't want to save those. Decent start. We've had loads of positives already, haven't we? We're not conceding as many goals. We're playing with more possession. We are dominating games without necessarily getting that killer instinct goal. We got a great result at Chelsea. Um, but on the flip side, which we all know, we have squandered um, leads like Luton at the weekend. We should have probably beaten Burnley had we played better football. Um, stupid mistake at Brentford meant we, we dropped points there. We probably could have beaten Crystal Palace if we'd have got a one-year fit. Um, I'm happy with where we are. My only worry is pre-Luton, it felt like we were settling into that mid-table Crystal Palace guys, whereas now we've slipped to 15th. I know it's still early days, but I don't want us to get sucked into that relegation fight. We've got a really tricky few games coming up. Um, realistically, we're probably not going to get anything out of Liverpool. Uh, we've got Villa, who are just firing on all cylinders at the moment. So if we're not, we're not careful, we could get absolutely pummeled by them. Brighton, West Ham. Uh, I think we're doing okay. I just don't want to get into another relegation dogfight because the, the tide will turn. And the thing that really worried me on Saturday at full time was the booze. I've not heard that for so long at the city ground. And it wasn't nice to hear. I get it because it's disappointing. We should have beaten Luton. Um, but I, I worry that the tide is turning with the fans and the fan base are getting restless. Um, so I guess in answer to the question, I think we've probably had a decent to middling start. Um, it's OK. It's OK. Yeah, I go along with that. I think, you know, add, add the two points for beating Luton, which we should have had. And it's, you know, seven and a half, seven out of ten. And now it's six out of ten for me. What about you, Temps? Three to four points behind par for me. Um, given the performances that we've put in and the positions we found ourselves in in games. Um, that said, we've we've done a little bit against the head, haven't we? The, the Chelsea result was probably um, unforeseen in the same way that the, the Luton result was, was unforeseen. So I think that not too many eyebrows would have been raised from those that have watched our games if, if we were level with Man United at the minute. And they would they would say they're having a you know relatively indifferent in start. The the plus point is the trapdoor's not getting any closer. The bottom three are particularly weak this season relative to to other seasons, and already we find ourselves um, six points clear of the trap. So we're in that um, middle area of the Premier League where you know five or six teams will um, battle it out for ninth to ninth or fifteenth, and we've got to get on the right side of that, and that means winning your home games against those bottom four or five teams. That means finding a way to, to nick a goal on the road. So um, to answer that question directly, um, having watched you know, every minute of every game uh, this season, I think we should be three to four points ahead of where we find ourselves now. Yeah, should we be? I'd say, yeah, maybe two, maybe two points. I mean, Chelsea was a big bonus and then drawing with these other teams is a, is a bit of a setback. So I'm pretty kind of content. Just quickly, before we move on to questions, the next three games a lot of people are talking about, do they worry you as, you know, red flags all over them, Temps? Well, you don't want to be playing Villa at this moment in time, do you? They're one of the form teams in the in the Premier League. Um, so much in tacking intent. Players like Douglas Louise finding um, form that's been lacking for a period of time. Uh, they're an intimidating prospect. Liverpool look free scoring again and have a lot of pace up top and are very adept at the ball in behind, which is probably our relative uh, weakness defensively at this point. So two tough fixtures to, to come now. 
And no, you wouldn't particularly want to be facing uh, Villa and Liverpool next up. That said, there's a run of fixtures thereafter where you can see yourself getting getting a foothold and, and motoring uh, up the table. So what's success from, from the next two games? In all honesty, it's, it's defensive football and two points. Uh, yeah, I was going to say three points is a really good return. I know it's not a, you know, the sexiest return, but three points from whether whether it's against Villa or West Ham. I don't. I think we'll lose Liverpool. I wouldn't. I hope it's not a meltdown if we do. Uh, just quickly, Emily, what, where are you at on that? Uh, yeah, similar to temps, really. I would take a couple of points from those games. I can't see us getting anything um, at Anfield, really. Um, although I guess this time last year it was like our turning point, wasn't it, when we played Liverpool? But. Yeah, no. And and Villa terrify me at the moment. I watched them at the weekend, defensively sound, and they can, Ollie Watkins has found form. So that terrifies me. I think, do you know what, we, you talk about nicking points away and, and we need to find a home form. I wonder whether the pressure of the city ground and the atmosphere and the expectations maybe got to the players this season. Because we haven't, we, obviously we beat Sheffield United, but everywhere else we've drawn a blank. I know we are still unbeaten at home this season, but... I just wonder whether, as fans, do we need to actually... I know people are saying that the atmosphere is not great and it's not as good as it was, but I wonder whether the, the, the players are maybe feeling what we're feeling and we almost need to have a reset at home and just maybe Villa's the game to do that. It's the first, in inverted commas, big team that we're coming up against. and Maybe that's the game where we, we all work together and hopefully we can get something out of it. Um, but if we don't, let's not panic because, as Temp said, Villa are the informed team at the moment. We're not expected to get anything at Liverpool. There are still games to follow where we will pick up those points. But I think in terms of for the team and for the fan base, it'd be nice to think that, I don't know, maybe we could nick something, nick something against Villa at home, potentially. Yeah, I think it's the way we're trying to play against lesser opposition who are sitting in now. Not many teams sat in against us and we're trying to play 4-3-3, 4-2-3-1. I actually think if we played three at the back against Burnley, we'd have been better set up for that game. I thought we would try to run before we could walk a bit. But I do respect the, the way Cooper's trying to go about it and the evolution of the team. Uh, let's change gears a bit um, and uh, take some different topics. I might revert to that. We've got other questions on it. But um, uh, one, I mean, there's a question from Steve about how much will Andrew Omobamidele Oma ever play for us? I should have practised that before. When he gets in the team, I'll really nail it. Um, interesting. I'll just answer that quickly. Uh, I think he will, obviously. He's doing fine in training, I was told, but uh, he's not doing like Murillo fine. And, you know, Murillo's just such an exception that he stands out and uh, deserves his place. And he's going great, you know, going on to massive things, I think. Omar is just a big prospect as well, but he hasn't done quite enough to get in yet. But I think he's definitely going to get his chance. Obviously, like Tempson and others have said before, I think Felipe will depart at the end of the season. Scott McKenna will probably depart. I don't think Joe Worrell will. I think people say I think that, you know, he's signing a new contract. He's very durable. And I think he's still got a strong part to play, even if it's not necessarily in the starting eleven. So, yes, uh, Omar Bamadeli will get his chance, I think. But I think he's more one for next season and beyond. Uh, another topic that consistently comes up, that uh, Alex Moon and Jake asked, I think Jake might be Mikey's nephew, uh, asked on Twitter, what point in the season do we start bedding in uh, Vlakadimos, uh, assuming he's here to be number one? I think Turner's here to be number one as well, but it's an interesting debate and one we keep having. Does he come in at Anfield, Emily, or do you, are you still sticking with Turner? No, I'm still sticking with Turner for the time being. Um, I think that might be half the problem, is they've both 
quite rightly think of themselves as, as number one. And Matt Turner, for me, hasn't done enough wrong to lose his place. Arteta was saying that um, he got Raya in, in to be a joint number one with Ramsdale. And as we can see, it's not quite working for them. And I don't think you can have two number ones in a side. Uh, but Kodimos, I'm sure, will get his chance. But I think we need to wait for consistent howlers from Matt Turner before that ha happens. Otherwise, what, what message are you sending? What it will create is some healthy competition between the two. We've heard whispers over the last few days that um, Blakodomos is getting a bit fed up with sitting on the bench. And you can understand that, can't you, when he's he's come here to play Premier League football and he's just waiting for his chance. Um, I, I don't think Anfield away is the time to bring him in for me. I mean, what about, obviously the FA Cup doesn't start till January, does it for us? But maybe we could start him in a cup run, see how he gets on. Um I, I'm sticking with Turner for now because I don't know enough about the Greek keeper to say, yeah, let's stick him in. Hmm. This is a thing we see now in the game temps. There's less clear defined number twos, aren't there? Obviously, Arsenal's the prime example, but it doesn't feel sustainable to me to have two very uh, level number ones. That pecking order perhaps needs to be there long term because otherwise one of them's going to end up going every six months, aren't they? It's a bit different if you're in Europe and you're you know, backing yourself to have a decent run in the, the League Cup and, and the FA Cup. All of a sudden, you've got a, a, a season length approaching 60 games and you can keep two keepers busy. I think it's a, a, a closer run thing between the two than perhaps some observers think. Turner has been um, consistent in the last four or five games and has won a few people over. And sometimes you can be a better player outside of the side, can't you? Everyone sees the the misgivings and the, the errors issues of, of any anyone that's that's playing and, and, and calls for change. But um, as the point you've made with Omar Bamadeli, Steve Cooper and the coaches see these guys five days a week on the training pitch and clearly Turner is is doing enough at this this moment in time. Cooper made an interesting point about Murillo and that he was insistent that he made his debut at home in a more forgiving, supportive environment. So if he follows that logic with the, the keeper situation, um, I don't think we'll see him at Liverpool. And I think we'll only see him at Villa if, if Turner has um, a rotter because he has... You know, provided a, a safe pair of hands for us for the for the last few weeks. He has um, been perhaps a little bit more consistent than, than than I first thought. I was a little bit unkind after his his man my new performance. So I'm I'm still back in Turner just, but it's from a perspective of not having seen Vlakodimos in action. He'll get his chance. He'll want to keep it when he does, and I I think he'll probably make his debut at the City Ground given Cooper's recent logic. Mm. It's just the Brentford game that's been, you know, the red flag for Turner. The rest he's been okay. Maybe that Burnley Cup game is kicking was, you know, not not good. But yeah, I, I can see. I agree with both of you. It's a very finely run thing. I will try and take some live chat questions, and I'll take this one from Dan because I wanted to highlight this on Monday, not around team spirit, but around Murillo. So I'll read it out for those who are listening, um, not watching. On Saturday after the second goal, Worrell looked a broken man and his haunches in the box, and the only player that went to pick him up was Murillo. Are we yet to build a new team spirit this season? Just before you guys answer, I want to talk about that Murillo incident because he's a 21-year-old new guy in the team and it showed a lot of maturity that he was the one who went over to Worrell and really dragged him up. He didn't like tap him on the shoulder and he was like, come on, we've got to go again. And I thought it was really impressive from Murillo who just, you know, like I say, I think he'll be playing for Real Madrid in four years or something. He's think he's great. But um, yeah, I thought that really stood out. 
just on the team spirit point, Emily, I think we have. Uh, we see a lot of goal celebrations. They look a unit still to me. But what do you do? You worry about that at all? Not at all. No, I think that's one of the real plus points we've got is that you can see there's great team spirit among them. And just a mention on Marilla as well as picking Joe up. Did you notice towards the end of the game as well? He was really firing the crowd up. This young lad that's just come over and he was sort of going, come on, come on. And I just thought that was really good to see. But no, I think I think team spirit's fine. And they're all still getting to know each other. So you've got you, you know, you've got your old faithfuls in Joe, Ryan. Gibbs White, Bolly from last season, but a lot of them are still finding their way in the team. You only have to see when we score that they're all, you know, they're all loving each other for doing their things. So no, I think you can read a lot into the fact that it was only Murillo that went up to Joe, but maybe that's because it was his centre-back partner that he felt he wanted to go and and be that man. I, I don't see any divisions at all. I think team spirit is good and it will hopefully get better as they get to know each other and play better together you can you can even see from um mangala this season how happy he now is in his midfield three you know he's he's firing on all cylinders isn't he um so yeah no i'm i think the team spirit's fine i don't have an issue with that at all yeah, it's funny that Emily, uh, not wrongly, calls Gibbs White a mainstay of the squad. He's only been here for a year. It shows Thames the turnover is insane. So to build any kind of team spirit is is a challenge, isn't it? Yeah, well, that's not that's not going to stop. That's the nature of Premier League football, isn't it? Look, I'll say this on Joe Worrell. He is a big part of the the spirit, the togetherness in the camp. So that mistake hurt him. He knows it was his mistake, and he looked broken, didn't he? he wanted the ground to to swallow him up, and being being a leader. Um, in a in a sporting dressing room is a is a is a tough thing to do. You want to be um, popular, but more than anything else, you you want to be respected for your um, performances. And he he cares more than most about his performances. Got himself in a horrible position against a physical striker, and yeah, he just brushed him aside, didn't he? And and, and finished well. So the positive from that is Marillo, who seems seems to be a well, I was going to say a, a man in a boy's body, isn't he? He's a he's a he's a man in a farmer's body. Just an incredible twenty-one-year-old um, in a physical sense, but clearly some emotional intelligence too. If he's gone and you know tapped his skipper on the on the ribs and told him to um, to, to graft out the rest of the game and, and and try and get us back into it. So, yeah, a bit of a changing of the guard, isn't there? In terms of the um, the starting berth at centre half, but. Joe Worrell has a role to play in that spirit and Murillo has a massive role in the in the shape of our season because he's the talent with the highest ceiling in that back four. Yeah, I mean, he's already a big part of the attack. That ball from Dominguez to Murillo to carry it 10 yards and, and then, you know, feed Mangala or feed Alanga is already such a big part of the way we play. It's a real evolution of the team from Scott McKenna pinging it down the line for someone to cross it in. We're, we're a you know, much evolved team and I think people sometimes forget that. Um, there's 300 plus with us uh, at 10 a.m. on uh, Wednesday when lots of you are probably trying to queue for tickets for um, when's the next away game that the tickets are available for? I think it might be the Liverpool one. I don't know. Sorry. Um, but yeah, so good of you to have uh, have all of you with us. Uh, do like and subscribe and give us good reviews. Yeah. It certainly helps. Right. Let's go to uh, another question. Um, crypto Bex, I hate these stupid Twitter names. Not that that sounds bad. Sorry, that might be his might be Crypto Bex, first name Crypto, second name Bex. Yeah, yeah, that's fair enough. It's a good question. Um, was it a mistake to move on attacking players like Dennis and Scarpa? Obviously, they're on loan and might come back. Uh, well, I'll answer, but I'll come to you guys first. Emily, should we have kept them or not? 
No, 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 no. Because um, they couldn't get into our team really properly last season. Dennis was inconsistent and... I don't know, he just disappointed me. He did have flashes, didn't he? But he, he disappointed me. And Scarpa, I was all for giving Scarpa a chance. And I do think he's a, he's a, he's a great footballer. But for whatever reason, it didn't click with him at Forest. And I had a quick look last night to see how they're getting on on their loans. They are not making waves. They are not doing lots of amazing attacking things, scoring goals, getting assists on their loans. So why on earth would they come here and do that in the hardest league in the world, the Premier League? Um, yep, two attacking players that we've sent off. But for me, they still wouldn't get in our side. No, um, I've not looked at Dennis, but I do look at Scar because I know he was held up as this, you know, greatest player on, on the planet by some. Um, six appearances uh, in total, no goals, no assists, no appearances in the Europa League, four appearances in the Greek Super League. So obviously it's early days for him, but he's not tearing it up in Greece yet. So like Emily and says... Dennis is the same in the Turkish league. He's he's made, I think, four appearances, no goals, no assists. And I'm not saying you have to, you know, hit the ground running, but if if they were that attacking threat that we that you know some people suggest that we've lost and maybe should have kept, then surely they'd be doing the business in the Turkish league, which is not as harsh and more forgiving than the Premier League. I've yeah. got something to add to that. I we've moved so far past them now. And you're mm. always looking for characteristics and, and how consistently players can execute their skills. So what are we looking for from that type of player? Someone who's comfortable on the ball, can beat a man, can nick a, nick a goal, but more importantly, be creative, direct and lay on goals in the in the final third. So Dennis and Scarpa are, of course, capable of that. But as they've shown already, Hudson and Doyle Langer are more capable. We've moved past Dennis and Scarpa. And one day, hopefully, we'll move, you know, move past this, this level of player as well. But when you're a team on the rise, you have to make incremental changes, upgrade the parts uh, at every possible opportunity. Those two are nowhere near the level that's now required to get into this side because we've moved so far past them with the signings we made in the last window. Mm. I mean, Scarpa looked a really good footballer, but he looked a bit lightweight for the Premier League. This team, I've said this before, is built around athletes and... I don't think he fits in. I know he's can ping a pass as well as anyone can take a set piece. And that's where I probably would have kept him in the squad as a bench option. But I can see, you know, why he's been loaned out and why I don't think he's going to gonna make it for us. I actually think he could be sold back to Brazil and get some profit on him uh, to free up some funds for another player in January, if anything. And the same for Dennis. We've got so many players out on loan. The turnover players can be ridiculous again uh, next season uh let's take another question which is a bit similar actually about players hitting the ground running um jerry pritchard if we're being honest are we a bit disappointed with sangare uh, I'll, I'll go first on that i mean to an extent i watched him on saturday and i think he's a bit slower with moving the ball and this was highlighted as a weakness of his that he's a lot better off the ball than he is on it but he's literally played five games uh, so i think we have to cut him a significant amount of slack I mean, his work off the ball was still good against Luton. And I've seen him intercept a lot of, you know, balls and break up play that maybe goes a little bit unnoticed. I remember that against Burnley in the league game when he didn't look fully fit. That's another thing as well. I think he's getting up to the pace of the Premier League. But in terms of defensive work and what he's brought here for, I think he's done fine. In terms of being a little bit more of what we need, we haven't quite seen it. But the Dutch league is no, not nothing compared to the Premier League in terms of pace and pressing and that kind of stuff that he's going to have to get used to. And generally, our midfield looks so much better. We, we're not well. We dominate against Luton, but we're much more controlling. 
And he's a big factor in that, along with Dominguez and Mangala. Dominguez kind of puts a different light on Sangare for me because he's been so good. We think, oh, Sangare's got to be just as good. And he doesn't. He's been he's been okay. He's been fine. But I think there's a lot more to come for him. And I saw someone say we've signed a dud on Twitter. People say all sorts of stuff on Twitter. But, you know, five games, let's, let's give the guy a, a chance. I, I'm content and think he's going to be a really big player for us kind of down the line come the end of the season. What about you, Temps? Well, it's also coincided, his arrivals coincided with this rebirth of Mangala as the player that's the most comfortable on the ball in any situation in that Forest midfield. And it's often a congested midfield, particularly if you come up against teams with three in the middle. You could give Mangala the ball down a blind alley with the lights off and he'd, you know, take on three players and, and come out and find that simple pass. He makes really difficult things look exceptionally easy. Such a technically gifted player, clearly feels at home with the level, and I think he's he's really shone in the last three or four weeks. So trying to impress in this Forest midfield now for Sangare is tough when you've got the energy of Dominguez, that technical craft of Oral Mangala, and you're just trying to feel your way into the side. You know, are you going to be that kind of um, deep sitting, you know, Makaleli role? Are you going to be a wrecking ball a bit further up the pitch? Are you going to um, join the press? Or are you going to try and be, sit a bit deeper and become a, a distributor, which is what Mangal has done? So I think Sangare is now just, just trying to find out what his role is in this side. But he has all the technical and physical assets to succeed and he'll definitely come, come good for us. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I'll put some comments up before I come to Emily. Just um, on the chat. Uh, Gavin on uh, YouTube, this is Sangare will be fine. Just give the guy some time. Uh, no matter, oh, hang on, I've clicked on the wrong one because too many comments are coming in. Uh, some players come in and immediately adapt, like Murillo and Dominguez. Some take longer for all sorts of reasons. That's from Nomad. And Still haven't John. seen Danilo in this blend either, have we? I mean, this, the centre mid's becoming quite frightening. No, that's true. That's true. Um, and John says Sangari crucial to this midfield along with Mangala and Dominguez. And Temps makes a good point there about um, Danilo, Emily as well. And obviously, I think Ryan Yates has still got a part to play. Kayate is probably the one that could or should you know drop off and we've got Andre Santos as well there's so much in there now isn't there yeah I mean our midfield's fantastic at the moment I don't think you can split Mangala Dominguez and Sangare up that midfield three blend seems to work really well um I mean the only the only other thing to mention about Sangari is I don't think he's up to full fitness yet match fitness with regards to, to what the demands of the Premier League because you can see he starts to blow from about 60 70 minutes doesn't he but having said that on Saturday against Luton, I know Dominguez went off as well, but everything fell apart when him and Dominguez came off the pitch. So we didn't have that calming influence of Sangari. Some people say he comes across as lazy and slow, but I just think he's quite measured. Um, and I feel very comfortable having him in our midfield. There is plenty more to come from him, of course, because we've seen that um, for his previous clubs. But just give the lad time. Like you say, he's played five games for us. He's not made any howlers. He's not set the world alight. He'll get better with every game. Um, so, no, I'm really happy. And I love the fact that we've got all these midfield options. And like you say, we've not even considered Danilo yet when he comes back in. Um, so, yeah, and, and Yatesy, I think, will forever be part of that as well, whether it's as a an impact sub off the bench. Um, but, no, I'm, I'm, I'm relatively happy with Sangari. I'm not going to slag him off. 
Uh, let's take another question from the chat before we go back to the couple more that we've got. And Emily, you've got to go in a couple of minutes, so I'll probably have to let you go, but we'll just field this one quickly uh, from Greg Oram. Injuries to Taiwo, Origi, and Hudson Adoy going to hurt us. Attacking options are gone. Is there a whiz kid in the academy we can call up? Uh, not really. I mean, Dale Taylor's on loan at Wickham. There's um, Isapa Ossong who's done really well for the under-18s. But I think the point I would make is, like, now the goal from academy football to Premier League football is just insane. So you need that bridging loan in the Championship, and we haven't really got that. So I think there is a bit of a, a gap there, which kind of leads into another question, Temps, around do we need to buy another striker in January? I, you know, I stand up for Chris Wood personally, but do we need someone else if Origi maybe doesn't do it? And Tyro does have a bit of an injury yeah, issue generally, doesn't he? I haven't been ever so kind to Chris Wood. And I was, I was sat there at half time thinking this, this fella might have a Sam Surridge level of impact here, be on the bench, you know, willing servant for 25, 30 minutes, um, have the, the odd moment of a class finish, one touch finish, whatever, where you, you know, sit up in your seat, then ultimately just, just, just fade away into the background. Having watched his second half performance, and then gone back and really, really thought about his impact on the game and the, the chances that he, he he missed as well, his movement to get into position for those chances. I think Chris Wood can be the the, the understudy that we need to Tyro Wanyi. His movement for the for the left foot finish uh, goal was was incredible. Held his run, timed it to perfection, ran across the centre half, basically said, you know, foul me or or leave me. And then he, he pulled out that finish, gave the keeper the eyes. And that was that was a difficult thing to do. Second goal, perhaps more typically, um, Chris Wood, good cross, good header. But there were two or three other chances um, in the game as well. Notably the first one in the first half where he just peeled back out the six-yard box and swung a left peg at it. The goal that was disallowed as well. So there is a 10 to 15 goal a season man there uh, who put in a really, really good performance at the weekend, prove me wrong for sure. And I think that's that's the level that's required to be a, a backup striker in the Premier League, albeit one that's going to get four or five games in this period where Taiwo's out and four or five games in a huge period where Taiwo's at the AFCON. So I'm, I'm going to stand up for Chris Wood a little bit. Really, really impressed me at the weekend. I've been a bit of a critic when he's he's gone missing in a few games, but there are there was more than a few flashes there that showed why Cooper was so adamant that he was the man to pull in last year. Yeah, I mean, he's got three goals. I think he can get 10. Historically, he always gets back, you know, 10 to 12 or something. I think he's still at that level. He's only 31 or something like that. So I think he's a good backup option. I suppose the question is, Emily, do we need another backup option? Because not many teams carry three strikers. Like Villa have got Ollie Watkins and then there's John Duran. It's a big drop-off. Most clubs kind of run that way, don't they? We're a bit of an exception. Yeah, and also, who do we get? Because I think, um, on the top, off the top of my head, I can't think of anyone available. Hello. I don't apologise that. <laughs> carry on, I'm going to go on to mute. Okay, unmute yourself, yes. In fact, you're going to have to let you go because it's ten past ten and you said you had to depart by ten past ten. So, do you want to say goodbye over that? and I apologise for my dog no problem, right, I'm going to boot Emily from the studio, that was a good way to enter a run on Garibaldi Red, horrendous I don't think there's enough animals on this podcast <laughs> no, that's true right, hang on okay, Emily's gone, uh, myself and Temps will hang around for another 
what should we say, 20 minutes max, and we'll just field a couple more questions. Uh, I'll just change the background so it looks better on YouTube. There we go. Right, let's go back to um, a couple more. Uh, this one was mostly for you, Temps. Um, I thought you could answer this. From James Jones, in an effort to have more seats to City Ground, why don't the club fill in the corners between the Trent end and the Brian Clough stand? I know Wolves have done stuff like that periodically, and obviously there's all the stuff around the ground developments and the Peter Taylor stand, which is still ongoing and feels like it's going to be ongoing for quite a long time. Um, what's the issue there with filling in the corners? Well, Forest have a massive strategic call to make, don't they, about investing in the city ground or, or a new build stadium at some point because there is a, there's a stadium issue in the same way that Chelsea have a stadium issue when it's compared to the likes of Spurs, um, dare I say West Ham, um, certainly the two, two Manchester clubs. Um, and that the stadium that, that Arsenal has built, which is now starting to look tired. Forest have a stadium issue if they want to establish themselves in the top 10 of the Premier League. So that requires tens of millions of pounds worth of investment. And you can only spend that money once. So the second that we see capital development at the city ground is a sure sign they've decided that that's the way forward um, rather than finding a, you know, a brownfield site and, uh, and building something from, from scratch. In the new chairman, they have the, the right guy to, to make that decision. Um, his group of companies uh, has all of, all of those kind of uh, consorting arms and building arms in their, in their wheelhouse. And that'll be top of his inbox at this, this moment in time. So why not fill in the corners? Well, A, there are easier ways to add um, capacity to the city ground. The priority, if they are to develop the city ground, is the main stand, um, as we've seen. Any kind of pre-application, application process, planning, consultation takes a lot of time. And they're just so much further down the track with those plans for the main stand. So two things to look out for. Are they going to invest in the city ground or not? We've seen some um, works recently, haven't we, on the, the look and feel of the place. Um, we saw the new beer jets in the Brian Clough Upper at the, at, at the weekend. But drop in the ocean, really, compared to what needs to be spent to, to bring the city ground up to spec. So are they going to lay a brick on the main stand or are they going look, look to look to, um, to, to, to build elsewhere? That's the, that's the primary question, really. Filling in the corners is a long way down the track and way after they've taken that decision. Yeah, and I threw that for people who don't know. I threw that question at Thames because he works at Trent Bridge, uh, and, you know, high up there. Not that he'd want to blow his own trumpet, but you know, they're always looking at developing their own ground. So he's well placed to comment on that. Better place than me. Uh, let's take a question from George um, regarding Andre Santos. Do you think he'll be recalled in January? I think if he was performing as well as Murillo has in training, then surely he would have been picked. We discussed Santos a fair bit, Thames, haven't we? I mean, he's so talented, Brazil under 20 star, but he hasn't had a kick really for us yet, apart from that Burnley game in the cup. Is this symptomatic of what we were talking about, about Forest strength in depth in midfield and it's hard to get him in or should it? I mean, I suppose he probably should have come on against Luton with hindsight, shouldn't he? Look, I think he'll go back in January. I don't think it's suiting anybody at the minute, is he? Is it? We're not going to be able to guarantee him in the minutes with the emergence of the midfielders that we've got. When Danilo's ready, he'll be prioritised for exposure rather than Andre Santos because he's not our player. Doesn't suit Santos to be sat on the bench. Certainly doesn't suit Chelsea, um, who who wants him to prove himself at this level so they can ease him into their team in time. Just one of those that hasn't worked out. We had a couple of late window signings that have pushed him further down the pecking order. It's doing nobody any good, and I'd expect him to go back to Chelsea in January. 
I think, yeah, I think that's probably right. I mean, we've made this point before, but he was signed with, you know, when we probably didn't think we were going to get Sangari and Dominguez. And like Temp says, you play your own players over your loan players in the first instance uh, if you've got the good options there. So, um, yeah, I, I'd agree with that. A uh, quick one from James. Has Temp had any abuse in the WhatsApp group after his bold statements in the live show last week? Not really, no. Abuse is the wrong word, but there's, there's certainly plenty of people keen to point out to me at the, at the weekend, at the game in the pub, that I got my prediction wrong. But I still stand by it. I still think us as a team are three goals better than Luton over 90 minutes and everybody saw what transpired. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, sticking, I'm sticking by um, the reasons why I made that prediction pre-match. I, I still think we're head and shoulders. And that's why even, even the most from the calm elements of the Forest fan base, the most vociferous elements, everybody can see that we threw that one away. Yeah, agreed. We certainly did. Uh, probably the last question, I think. One from Danny Stewart, which is going back towards the Cooper topping and expectation topic. And we had this in various different forms. So um, please remind everyone, we've lost one game in six in the Premier League, and that was to Man City, who are half decent. I understand the loose and frustrations, and that was a horrific last 15 minutes. But who do we think we are? I suppose, I mean, that's a bit too direct, but I suppose the question is, who do we think we are and where should we where should we be? Are people getting a bit too, I don't know, whatever the word is, overexcited? I mean, meltdown is the one that, you know, you always get on social media after a game like that. I suppose it comes back to the how good or how bad has the start been, really, doesn't it? So is that is that a question? Who do we think we are? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's literally the question <laughs> on there. I've tried to rephrase it a little bit. <laughs> Well, who, who do I think we are? I, th- I think we're a mid-table Premier League team. I think there is a, a subtlety in there, though, isn't there, be- between being comfortably 10th and being Palace just sitting motionless in, in 13th season after season. I mean, we, we still haven't tuned in. And the, the, the chairman made this comment, didn't he, on his, on his way in, that the ownership expect Forrest to make rapid progress given the investment that they've had in the, in the playing group. So only they can decide what, what true success is. Brighton, this was a case in point from one of the, one of the listeners on, on their social media to, to us at the weekend. Brighton finished 15th, 16th, 15th before they then kicked on and broke into the top half of the table. And they're perhaps the closest model that we're trying to follow in so much as while well, the bankroll is there, FFP and a relatively small stadium means we can't spend what the top six or even the top eight spend on players. We have to add value to younger players. There has to be some turnover of players in transfer windows. Um, and there has to be progress made um, by, a, by a manager over a, over a period of time. Now, they have changed their manager and, and kicked on again. I think we can all see that De Zerbe is, is destined for a, uh, a, a big career in, in management. I think that to feel we're going to kick on from championship relegation certainties to playoff team to holding in the Premier League to mid-table obscurity to knocking on the door of the top eight without bumps in the road is simply impossible. We have to balance the the, 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 the need for patience with the, with, with the bar rising and it's a really subtle thing in that journey from 16th in the Premier League to, to eighth in the eighth in the Premier League. Where do I think we'll finish this year? I'll mirror your, your prediction earlier. 12th. Does that represent progress? Yes, absolutely. 
Count, are we starting to see divisions in the fan base between those that we think should kick on more quickly and those that are just grateful to be here? Absolutely. Um, I'm still somewhere in the middle. As am I. I mean, I was just thinking when you were talking there, the season Liverpool won the league, the season after that, they were terrible. They blew loads of results and, you know, made loads of mistakes and it can happen. I mean, the, the, the graph doesn't always go like that, does it? There's bumps in the road and Saturday was certainly one of our bumps. But like I said at the start, where would this team finish over 38 games? About 12th. There's two leagues with, you know, there's a league within a league or two leagues in the league in the Premier League for me. There's the, the top six who are way ahead. And then there's Villa, Brighton, and to an extent West Ham, who are trying to, you know, crack that next level. And then there's the rest. And, you know, at the bottom of that tier, there's, I still say Luton, Burnley, Bournemouth, Everton, definitely, maybe Fulham maybe Wolves and then we're somewhere I hope just above that and like you say you made a good point about Palace like we could be that this season but are we going to bobble along and be that for the long term well no because he only doesn't want that the aim is can we get you know ahead of that but last season someone's putting last season a battle I haven't read the full comment but yeah last season was a battle this season is going to be a battle in a different way and I don't think it's going to be the desperate relegation battle but um, I think we're all right I mean, I probably should give better analysis than that. I think we're all right. I think we're a mid-table team with flaws. We're certainly a squad with flaws. So let's yeah, let's see how we develop. Let's not write us off after you know blowing it against Luton. And if we get a point against Liverpool, let's not say we're going to make it into Europe. Let's that's we always try and do on this podcast. Never too high when we do well. Never too low when we blow it. So let's uh, let's see how we go over thirty-eight games. Temps, any final words? Anything you want to say before we depart? I was just going to pull out one comment from earlier. If if we had have uh, beaten Luton at the weekend, I think we we may well have gone into to Villa and Liverpool with a bit more uh, attacking intent. As it happens now, we we probably do have to become more resilient again. So team selection and shape selection will be really interesting, as it always is. But look, we ain't getting relegated. It's a positive fight. We need to kick on, but we need to stay together as well. And the the booze did really disappoint me at the weekend. Let's not forget what's what's gone before this. 21 years of abject misery with the occasional bit of playoff excitement and a myriad of managers, captains, goalkeepers, strikers sent on their way. We've had the, the two years of being more together as a, as a club than we've ever been. And one of the things that's been cited as a reason for that is the, the atmosphere that you know, us fans create at home matches. So let's let's get back to that. Stick together because it's only going to have a positive impact on team performances and our points total at the end of the year. Agree, and I hope we see that against Villa. I think we will. Like you've said, they're very good this season, more so at home than away. So I think we've got a, a chance of beating them. It's going to be a tough one. And as Greg says in the comments, a surprise three points will happen at some point as well. I mean, that happened at plenty of times last season for us, and I think it'll happen this season. But we've obviously got weaknesses still, and we have had a couple of disappointing results. But overall, as Lewis said on Monday, I think we're in a very good place as a football club. Right, we'll leave it there. Uh, good to have so many of you with us. I know it's not the best time to do these things, but needs must. Um, but lots of comments as ever and lots of questions. And obviously, thank you to everyone who submitted them on Twitter. We had loads. So sorry if I didn't get to them all. 
uh, just tried to filter out a decent selection. Right, we'll be back tomorrow with, uh, well, Temps retains his place despite letting himself down so badly last week with his prediction. Uh, he'll be back tomorrow with Arsha as we uh, preview uh, Liverpool away. So do join us then if you can. And then we are back on Monday to dissect whatever happens at Anfield. Right, uh, Temps, thank you very much. Cheers, Matt. Uh, thanks for everyone who watched long. Have a good day, not a few days, because we'll be back tomorrow. And uh, we shall see you then, hopefully. <laughs>